Hello and welcome to the January 16th, 2018 episode of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is my neighborhood, this is my life, but this is our podcast journey. Tonight on Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, we're going to be speaking about borderline personality disorder. Welcome everybody, can't wait to talk. doing everybody I tell you I gotta tell you I almost want to like keep it going oh I love this song I hope you guys don't mind that I do this you know it it can't help it wow what a great song you know I like to uh start with something I I start with something and end with something I feel like uh it keeps the mood kind of cool for everybody you know and uh Believe it or not, I actually got an email from somebody. Uh, they they complimented me about my uh, choice of music, and um, <laughs> so maybe uh, maybe what I'll do is after we get to a hundred episodes, what I'll do is I'll review all the songs that I put in all my podcasts. Maybe I'll make a Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast CD, um, and anybody who writes me an email, um, you know, of course, can ask me for one, and I gladly send it to them, no charge at all, um, you know, now, listen, if I get a hundred requests, I may have to ask for a little shipping fee, which won't be much money, I mean, it'd be first class mail, um, you know, but even, even that, I, I doubt I would ask anybody for any money, um, not important to me, money, I just want people to be happy, and people to learn a little bit something, from what I have to say, and uh, what I will say right now is that I've gotten a lot of emails as of late, and it seems that people are extremely interested and extremely excited about my borderline personality 101 episode. And 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 I and you know I wanted to take a guess as to why, but I really don't have to. It's been evidently clear to me what is going on and what it appears that people are thinking or at least communicating to me is people are unsure whether or not not necessarily whether they have it because I have not had anybody reach out as of yet that has claimed to have borderline personality disorder however many people have reached out to me and they are inquiring about what exactly is borderline personality disorder because they have somebody in their life that they feel as if is experiencing or suffering that diagnostic uh, criteria and um, so there's a lot of questions about whether or not this these these people that they love are are, you know borderline personality disorder and I'm gonna tell you right now when it comes to borderline personality disorder there is uh, there is not a lot um, there is really no disability out there um, such as that Um, it is really in my opinion in a class of its own and it's also not a very easy thing to deal with. Uh, there are some times, as a matter of fact, um, when I actually read over the quote-unquote uh, proposed diagnostic criteria, um, you know, when I, when I read over it, I said to myself, geez, dear God, when I'm in some of my manic states of mind, I actually, I actually have some of these symptoms, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, depending on our state of mind, whether we are... Um, you know, abusing drugs or alcohol, 
um, or whether we are suffering from bipolar disorder, whether it be bipolar 1, bipolar 2, rapid cycling, which I am, um, it's, it's clear to me that there are times where we, we are all going to certainly replicate some of these symptoms um, in, in, in some way or another. Um, but there is a very certain diagnostic criteria that we're going to have to discuss tonight to really set this apart from anything else because I will tell you again, it's like nothing else that you've ever experienced. Now, I myself, I have somebody very close to me um, that I grew up with, which happens to be my mother. Uh, she is not clinically diagnosed by a psychiatrist with borderline personality disorder. She is diagnosed really by our family. And that's the God's honest truth. And it, it's rather easy to do. <laughs> and you're going to realize that tonight when I actually go through what I have in front of me right now. It is what we call the DSM-5 and the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And what this is, guys, uh, it's from the American Psychiatric Association. This is the fifth edition, and this is the latest edition in which we in the United States, as well as Canada... Um, for those of you who are listening from Canada, and I do have a, quite a few listeners from Canada, so I appreciate that. Um, I believe Canada does use this, and you could correct me if I'm wrong. I'll give me my email address in a second. Um, I believe Canada uses this as well, but I could tell you for certain that the United States absolutely does use this when it comes to making a diagnosis for a mental health disorder. So what I'm going to attempt to do tonight is I'm going to actually read, which I will not do a lot in any of my podcasts, but we have to go over this together. And I'm actually going to make a double attempt here. Not only am I going to attempt to read to you, but as we go through each of the proposed diagnostic criteria for borderline personality disorder, I'd like to give you some examples of what I've dealt with throughout my life with my own family and my own mom. So hopefully those of you who have uh, questions as to whether or not you are also dealing with this or you know someone or you have a loved one that is also suffering from what you perceive to be borderline personality disorder, maybe this will help you in determining whether or not they actually have it or whether or not you actually have it. Um, and it's certainly nothing to be ashamed of. What I can tell you is that most people with borderline personality disorder uh, do not do very well when it comes to medication treatments. And what I mean by that, it doesn't mean that medications don't help. What I mean is that uh, because it is actually a personality disorder, which technically is different from a mental health disorder, it is a lot of times very difficult to control some of the symptoms that are associated with BPD. And, you know, with, with, with bipolar disorder, for example, everybody, you know, there is a true chemical imbalance there where, you know, the chemicals are affected which allow a person to swing from one end of the pendulum to the other end of the pendulum. One end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum and the highs and the lows, hence the former name of bipolar disorder, which was manic depression. Which, to be honest with you, i got to tell you, the, uh, God's honest truth, I actually like that, uh, that phrase, manic depression, better. I feel like it does a better job in actually describing what bipolar actually is. But 
nevertheless in the DSM-5, you know, that is that is no longer the case. Uh, I believe even in the DSM-4, it was no longer referred to as manic depression. I could be wrong with that, you know, and I will always point out when I'm not sure. I never want to make, you know, provide you with information that I know to be untrue or if I'm not sure about it. So I'll always put some kind of disclaimer after something unless I'm absolutely sure in what it is. But what I am absolutely sure about is the ways that you can contact me. So before I go any further, let's just give that out quickly. Um, my email address, in case you have any questions, in case you'd like to comment about this podcast episode, email address, I could be reached at Mr. Joe BP. that's M-R-J-O-E-B-P, at yahoo.com. In addition, I'm also on Twitter. Um, and I'm fairly new to Twitter. Um, you know, got a few followers, which is great. Um, and I believe a few of you who are listening to the podcast also are out there, and I think that's wonderful. Um, but my Twitter handle is actually at Mr. Bipolar Joe, and that's M R B I P O L A R J O E, at Mr. Bipolar Joe, and it doesn't get easier than that. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen when I get my final diagnosis from my uh, doctor. Am I going to have to change this to Mr. Joe's Schizoaffective Podcast? I really don't know. Uh, but what I can tell you right now is that I am still on the same uh, dose of Lamictal, just for those of you who are uh, curious or concerned about how I am doing in terms of my own mental health. And I have to tell you, we are in a very, very, very good run here. Um, I have not had an episode in quite some time. I've been relatively stable. Since the last time that I believe I talked in my Bipolar 101 episode, uh, I believe the last real episode went back to sometime in December. Don't have the exact dates on me. You'd have to refer back to the podcast to see when it really happened. But whatever I reported in Bipolar 101 is when the last episode that I had, the last manic episode I had, although I might have had some minor things in between. Uh, nothing that lasted the duration of the normal 7 to 10 days that I normally go through. And I have to tell you, I have all this information at my fingertips, just so you know, but it would require me to put you guys on pause and look at my eMoods um, application. And, and this is really not about me tonight. I just wanted to give you that quick update. I am due to uh, increase my dosage as of this Friday. But before I say anything... I just want to give you a quick example of something that I went through with my mother as of recently up until two days ago. Now, I had a conversation, and I, and I mentioned this on my last podcast. Uh, I talked to you guys about how the last conversation I had with my mom and my dad, they were both actually drunk. Um, and they were very upset on the phone with me, and I talked to you about how they were, oh, my poor son, how could you be going through this, and... You know, what happened to my poor son? And, you know, listen, guys, this is, this is actually a good place that I'm, that I'm at. Because when we really talk about what I went through on my previous uh, medication stint for a period of four or five years, when I was completely over-medicated, um, I had severe, severe schizophrenic symptoms. Uh, I experienced what I like to refer to as depersonalization disorder basically every day of my life was very, very frightening, in which I actually used to float out of my body 
and watch myself as almost like I was watching a movie. Um, extremely frightening. And you're so disconnected from your body and your reality that you're actually somewhat floating above. Um, but, but combine that with the fact that throughout periods of that four-year, five-year period when I was on pharmaceutical medications and uh, psychotropic medications to help my bipolar, I was abusing drugs also, um, in particularly um, OxyContin. I believe at the time um, I had already cleaned myself up from the cocaine, um, but there was a period of time where I was on several different medications and I was snorting OxyContin in conjunction with my medication. So, um, you know, I was a mess for a very long time. You know, my parents were well aware of a suicide attempt that I made. Um, so how they could, you know, now make it as if it's something that's so devastating in their lives is just beyond me. What I think has happened here is that I've allowed my mother back into my life after several years in which I had to get an order of protection against her because of her behavior. So she's overcompensating to some extent and... Um, you know, letting me know how, how happy she is to have me back in her life. But at the same time, um, she still, you know, she still maintains her old vicious ways that, unfortunately, I don't even know if she realizes what she's doing. But the other night when I spoke to her, she cried and, um, you know, oh, my poor son. And, and I did make mention that she was absolutely wasted. Both of my parents were slurring their words and... One of the things that I failed to mention in my last podcast, and I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm heading towards here um, in terms of her behavior. Um, <coughs> excuse me. You know, my mother had insisted that I see her doctor. And, you know, people with borderline personality disorder, one of the things that you'll see is a lot of times they will press and press and um, they will have this, um, almost this, self-direction attitude where, um, you know, their, their, their instability and their own goals and their own values really kind of shines through. Um, and they just make it all about them to some extent. And, you know, my mother once again made it all about her. Oh, you need to see my doctor. And it's almost like she wanted to have control of me. So I very kindly said to my mother, you know, mom, very happy with my doctor considering the fact that our doctors actually share an office, um, you know, and that was not done, that was done by accident, you know, it's a small world, go figure. But there is no way on God's green earth that I would want my mother to tell her doctor that I want to now see her, you know, in fear of the fact that, you know, uh, who knows if she's going to tell my doctor that, uh, doctor that. I want to be the one to tell my doctor that I am not comfortable with her anymore. If I want to search out a new doctor, I will be the one to go ahead and do that. So while I thanked my mom and I told her, I said, you know, Ma, it's wonderful that she's taking new patients by the end of February. If by then I'm not comfortable with nurse practitioner moron, because, um, you know, I, I didn't hide it. You know, I, I let her know. Maybe that's part of the problem is that I'm too honest with her. You know, it's very important that if you're dealing with somebody with borderline personality disorder, there is actually a way that we also have to act um, in order to set the boundaries straight. Um, so I don't know if I led her to believe that I wanted to make a change, but I swear to everyone on this podcast listening, those words did not come out of my mouth. And 
The very next day, my mother called me and she left a message and she said that she made a phone call to her doctor and her doctor is now willing to see me. And I was just absolutely beside myself. So I immediately reached out to my father and my mother via email. I, I said, it's, you know, sometimes it's better if you don't call people because uh, you have some time to think about the things that you might want to say. And believe me when I tell you, I wrote that email a few different times and uh, erased what I wrote and then rewrote because, you know, it gives you some time to stop and think. Um, and, and that's what I did. And I, and I was very kind about what I said. I said, you know, Maj, it's embarrassing. I don't want your doctor. Thank you very much. But, you know, it's really upsetting to me that, you know, um, you went ahead and did that. And I asked that you don't do it again. Now, that very evening, okay, I knew that my dad had read the email because I also sent him pictures of uh, my children every once in a blue moon. And what Google Photos will do for you is they will notify you when somebody looks at the pictures. So there is no way that my dad doesn't read the emails that I send, um, especially when I know that he went on and looked at the photos. And I got the notification that he looked, which meant that he read the email. So, <laughs> excuse me, the very next day, my mother called me again, okay, because what happens is they start to also feel um, um, some, it's, it's almost like this separation insecurity, okay? Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. She probably heard the email, my dad read it to her, and then the lying starts. And the next phone call came and she pretended as if she didn't even read my email. And guys, I know for a fact she did. And she ignored it. And she said, oh, Joe, you know, don't know if you got my message. I haven't heard from you. She made it a point to let me know, okay? But I called my doctor again for you. And I even told her the medication that you're on. And she told me her daughter is on the same medication and she's doing wonderful. And, oh man, guys, at that point in time, when I had heard that email, I got so angry, I went to grab the phone and call her back. And thank goodness my wife was here to stop me. You know, there's that irrational impulsivity that um, not only borderline personality people have, but people with bipolar also have that as well. And I am one to admit that I do suffer from that. Um, but the wonderful thing is there would have been a time where I would have fought through my wife and, you know, get away from me and, and, and flailed my arms and, you know, no, 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 I'm not listening to you. I'm calling her and I'm laying into her. But I stopped and I didn't. Well, um, about 24 hours passed and, uh, I got another phone call and, you know, at this point I thought it was best to now just leave it alone. Um, I, so there I went from my impulsivity to completely doing exactly what I, I, I should have done was ignore the situation and, um, not engage. And what that does, unfortunately, a lot of times with people with borderline personality disorder is it will prompt them to reach out again. And lo and behold, my mother reached out again. And it was so sad to hear her because, first of all, her message that she left, she was drunk again. Um, and, and, you know, I, I swear, I wish there was a way. I don't think there is a way for me to play it on the podcast. Um, I, I will figure out a way to do it. At some point, I'm going to do it. But you could hear her tripping over her own words and her own lies. Oh, one thing I failed to mention. 
the thing that I did do, and I don't know if I was right or wrong, my wife told me that she did agree with what I did. Instead of calling my mom, I took some time to think, and I actually called her doctor. Um, and uh, I left her doctor a message. Now, again, this is a doctor who, just so you know, it it's not wasn't an out-of-the-blue phone call because my mother did actually recommend her several months ago and unfortunately, this doctor was not able to take me. She was not accepting patients, so I had to go out and search for one on my own. Um, but I called this doctor, and I, and I kindly told her that my mother has called me now twice, insisting that I go see you. And I said, with all due respect, not that I believe a word she says, but I am not interested in seeing a doctor, number one, and this probably was a little too harsh, but number one, who has told my mother that drinking and taking antidepressants is a way to cure her disorder. And that was probably uncalled for. And two, if at, if at any time I'm looking for a new doctor, I'll be sure to call you. What I need you to do is tell my mom to leave me alone, <laughs> or at least you know explain to her that I did call you. I don't think I said leave me alone. I said, please let my mom know that I gave you a call and that I indicated to you that I am not interested in your services. I thank you very much. And it's not important for my mother to reach out to you any longer to inquire about whether or not you're taking new patients. And I said to her, I was very, very honest with her. I said, I'm actually embarrassed because Stacy um, happens to share an office, and that's nurse practitioner moron, happens to share an office with you. And the last thing that I want is the two of you talking. Now, listen. You know, I have uh, other assistant directors and directors in my office. And let me tell you right now, you know, we hire a lot of different independent contractors. And let's just say, for an example, you know, my program is, uh, is, is able to pay a little bit more, let's say, than, the, than one of my close other assistant directors. And let's say I paid a little bit more and somebody went to somebody else, another assistant director, and said, you know what, even though Joe could pay me more, I don't want to be with him anymore. I'd rather get less money from you and be with your department. And, you know, that would be somewhat insulting. It would be not the end of the world. But, I, I, to be honest, it wouldn't really matter to me. But the point being is that assistant director would come and tell me. She would say, you know, Joe, so-and-so doesn't want to be with you anymore because we share an office and people talk. And just because they're doctors, I mean, clearly... If this woman is sharing information about her own daughter and what kind of medication her own daughter is on, she clearly does not know um, the correct HIPAA laws, um, or at least she's teeter-tottering on the HIPAA violation. So anyway, fast forward to last night, and my mother was once again drunk. She slurred her words. Um, she went from, you know, from... Originally, I, and I've said this several times, she said that you know her doctor said it was okay for her to drink, and she basically denied that she ever said that. Um, she said on my voicemail, which was also very, you know, this is another thing that people with borderline personality disorder will do. Um, they, um, you know, it's almost like this impulsivity where. Um, they'll just say whatever's on their mind. And she said, well, does your doctor know you smoke pot? You know, and 
quite frankly, yes, my doctor knows everything, in which I don't smoke marijuana anymore, thank goodness, because it doesn't help my, my moods. Um, but then again, that was that impulsivity where I wanted to call up because I was so angry because I know how well I am doing with the marijuana. I don't think about it anymore. I don't want it anymore. I don't look at it. I don't care about it. It's gone because now I'm on a medication that is helping to stabilize my moods and I'm not trying to self-medicate anymore. So it was extremely insulting to me that she made that accusation that I wouldn't tell my doctor about my quote-unquote pot smoking when I'm not even smoking pot anymore. But that was just a threat. Um, and I went ahead and wrote an email to my parents today, and I'm not going to bore you with what it said in it, but I did say in a nutshell that, you know, I am somebody who is a recovering addict, and I always will be. And, you know, at this point in my life, it hurts me to hear them drunk all the time, and it's just not a good fit for my recovery and for my family and what, what I need to do for myself and my children, and, you know, that's it. So we move on, and, you know, unfortunately, it's only going to last a couple of days, and then what will happen again are the phone calls will start again. Um, so let's go. Let's talk about this. And here it is, guys. I'm going to tell you now, if you have a mental health disorder, a mental illness of any kind, um, and I don't care what it is, if it's bipolar, anxiety, depression, borderline personality disorder. I mean, this book, and I'm, and I'm thumbing through it right now, it's absolutely incredible. Um, believe it or not, I actually looked at something the other day that had to do with um, alcohol. Um, and I forgot the exact diagnosis they use, um, but it was so sad. Uh, it was alcohol... Uh, I don't want to put yours on pause, and I'm not going to, but it was basically had to do, I mean, even now, I'm looking at page 571, and they have what's called uh, tobacco-related disorders, and I believe this was alcohol-related disorders, um, and sadly, you know, my mother fell into the severe category. Um, I believe it's, let's see, we got substance withdrawal, substance intoxication. But, you know, she fell into the severe category because what happens is, is you have to look at all the diagnostic criteria and you basically count how many things you have and then you go ahead and you make a diagnosis. Um, and, you know, it, it's just unfortunate that every single symptom that account with, accounted for alcoholism um, you know, my mother and father both had. It was very, very sad to read that. Um, but here we are, um, again, on the uh, in the DSM-5, and I am uh, at the section for borderline personality disorder. So I'm going to read. Typical features of borderline personality disorder are instability of self-image, personal goals, interpersonal relationships and effects accompanied by impulsivity, risk-taking, and or hostility. Characteristic difficulties are apparent in identity, self-direction, empathy, and or intimacy, as described below, along with specific maladaptive traits in the domain of negative affectivity and also antagonism and or disinhibition. Now, don't get scared. It's not going to be like this, guys, okay? I'm going to explain everything to you, I promise you. This is what I do for a living, okay? I may be a cuckoo bird, but um, I'm actually a smart cuckoo bird, okay? So we're going to go over this together. So now, 
Here is um, the proposed diagnostic criteria. And I could tell you without even reading that um, from my memory, you have to have at least four, and, and it does say that here, four of these areas in order to be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So it, what it says is moderate or greater impairment in personality functioning manifested by characteristic difficulties in, oh, in two or more of the following four areas. Oh, so I was wrong there. Okay, so you only have to have two of the following four areas. So this is very important now for everybody to listen to. If you are dealing with borderline personality disorder, or you know somebody who does, in order to be diagnosed, you're going to have to have two of the four. Okay, but we're not going to stop there because after that, this is where I was thinking the four. There is a part B, and after that, you're going to have to have four or more of the following seven pathological personality traits, okay? So first we're going to talk about the characteristic difficulties, and you have to have at least two of them, and then we're going to talk about the pathological personality traits in which you have to have at least four of them out of the seven. So if somebody you know has at least two of the following, it's a good bet that they're on their way to being diagnosed with or having personality, borderline personality disorder. Number one, identity. Markedly impoverished, poorly developed, or unstable self-imaged, often associated with excessive self-criticism, chronic feelings of emptiness, or disassociative states under stress. And guys... Really what that means is somebody who is completely unstable in terms of their self-image. And they want you to think that this person will somewhat knock themselves to some, to some extent. And just keep in mind that this doesn't have to be all the time. You know, there is a time when, and I'll give you an example, my mom, who happens to think extremely highly of herself more often than not, there are times when she's in a certain state of mind in which she will have an unstable self-image. And I can't tell you how many years, and when I say years, I'm not kidding, years, that I had to listen to my mother talk about her hair and her teeth and her skin and her wrinkles. And, you know, you, you may think that, you know, these are common complaints of somebody who's getting older, but my mother is only 62 years old. So when she used to do these things, she was a young woman. And none of it really made sense. But, you know, she would constantly talk about her, her own image and, you know, self-criticize. And, you know, it would go on for years, literally years and years. And you would have to listen to it over and over again. And then one day, boom, it would snap and it would just go away. And all of a sudden, people were jealous of her and because she had the best cars and the best rings and the best clothes and... Oh, you know, but at the same time, she's talking about how how ugly her hair is. So that's number one. Number two, self-direction, instability in goals, aspirations, values, or career plans. That's a very self-explanatory, you know, self-direction, the instability and in basically what you want to do with your life. OK, and I saw that all the time with my mother, you know, not that. You know, you know, listen, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, okay? And as far as I'm concerned, for those women that might be listening to this podcast, please understand this. 
If you are not out working in the quote-unquote workforce, but you are home taking care of your children, something that a lot of moms do not have the luxury to do today. You know, in my house, it was mom was at home, dad was the breadwinner, that was the household that we lived in, 5 o'clock, dinner was on the table, which is really interesting because with all the instability that I had in my life, there were some normalcies too that occurred in my childhood that I still recall. Um, you know, I don't know if some of it was obsessive compulsive disorder on my mother's part, but don't want to venture off too far right now. I want to continue to say what I was saying about the working women or the women that are working at home. And that's exactly what I want to say. If you are taking care of your children at home, you are probably doing one of the hardest jobs on the planet. So don't let anybody ever tell you that you are not a working mother because you absolutely are. Um, now, my mother, she really had no goals. Her goals had nothing to do with her. Her goals were all about me. They were all what I was going to be and how perfect her son was and how smart her son was. And I got to tell you, and, I, and if I have time at the end of this podcast, I'm actually going to tell you what transpired in my ninth grade year um, that I do blame on my mother in terms of perfection and what she aimed for me to be and wanted me to be and forced me to believe that I was, which resulted in me losing basically every friend that I had. Okay, so we got two so far. We got the identity part and we have the self-direction. Number three, empathy. Compromised ability to recognize the feelings and needs of others associated with interpersonal hypersensitivity. For example, prone to feel slighted or insulted. Perceptions of others selectively biased towards negative attributes or vulnerabilities. So, best way to describe it is exactly the example they give, which is prone to be slighted or insulted. Basically, everything that you do or say, they take it to heart. And that is a perfect example of what my mother probably um, goes through her, went through her entire life. That email, as honest as I was to my parents, she is going to take that to heart. She has no ability to recognize the feelings and the needs of me, her own son, let alone another human being, okay? Her own son, because she is so hypersensitive interpersonally with herself that no matter what you say, she feels slighted or insulted, okay? And again, perceptions of others selectively biased toward negative attributes or vulnerabilities. You know, my, my non-workbook definition of somebody with bipolar personality, and this is just, this is just in a nutshell, guys, you know, and, and this is what my mother does with a lot of people. Um, she will make you feel like you're the center of everything. You know, you're her number one, and she will talk and talk and, you know, get very intimate with you and make you feel as if, you know, you're everything in the world to her. Um, but then the moment, let's say, and I'll give you an example, the moment, um, you know, I'm her number one baby boy, but the moment that I don't call her the next day or the next week, I've totally forgotten about her and how could you do this to me? What did I do to you? You know, I'm your mother. How dare you not call me for a week? I've given you the shirt off my back and you don't dare call me for a week? Yeah. Ma, I got a life. 
you know, this is my life. I mean, you know, one of the things that I realized with my wife, who's walking, working at home now, every single time I speak to my mother, she will let me be aware of the fact that she called, left a message, and my wife refused to answer the phone because she just doesn't like her. No, Ma, it's not the case. My wife has a job to do, a job to do for my department with my work, because she happens to be working from home now, my wife. And on top of that, she's taking care of our son. So she has a double job to do. has nothing to do with the fact that she doesn't want to talk to you or doesn't like you. She just can't answer the phone because her time is extremely precious. She's working. But that doesn't matter. My mother will show no empathy whatsoever. So intimacy is number four. Now, if you've gotten two of the three so far, you're on your way to borderline personality disorder. Just keep that in mind, okay? Number four is intimacy. Intense, unstable, and conflicted close relationships marked by mistrust, neediness, and anxious preoccupation with real or imagined abandonment. And I just described that to you. Close relationships often viewed in extremes of idealization and devaluation and alternating between over-involvement and withdrawal. So, just like I said, overly involved. Oh, I got a call, I got a call, I got to check in, I got to make sure. And, and then I don't hear from him. So, I'm going to withdraw. They don't like me. Well, you better believe that I'm not going to call them. But I'm going to make sure that I let them know how I feel. Because really, a lot of times, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, the abandonment feeling that they feel is, is, is imagined. You know, it's like, no, I'm not abandoning you. I have my own life. But they're unable to see that. Um, so they feel abandoned. Um, you know, and sometimes it actually becomes real. And, you know, when it is real, it's really even harder to decipher between the two because, you know, we as human beings, you know, we oftentimes don't know how to react to somebody with borderline personality disorder. So because we oftentimes feel so overwhelmed by their um, inability to really communicate appropriately with us, you know, it's, sometimes it's easier to just kind of disappear, if you know what I'm saying. So that that imagined abandonment now becomes a real abandonment, and um, it makes it even worse for the person suffering with bipolar, uh, borderline personality disorder. So now let's move into the next section. And again, four or more of the following seven pathological personality traits, at least one of which must be number five, impulsivity, number six, risk-taking, or number seven, hostility. So now, number five, six, and seven, which I'm going to get to, because i got to do one, two, three, and four first. Five, six, and seven, you have to have at least one of numbers five, six, and seven. doesn't matter if it's impulsivity, doesn't matter if it's risk-taking, or it doesn't matter if it's hostility. Unfortunately for my mother, I could tell you right now that she absolutely, without even reading them, I already know she has impulsivity and hostility. Risk-taking, eh, okay, um, not so much, um, although she has, um, you know, and we'll talk about it, but her risk-taking is far and few in between. It's not something that's done on a daily basis, let's put it that way. 
um, maybe on a on a quarterly basis per year, so four times a year. Um, so it does happen, but we'll get to that. So remember, you got to have four of the seven, four of the se- following seven things that I'm about to describe to you, and you have to have at least one of the last three that we talk about. So number one, emotional ability. Um, emotional ability, yes, which is an aspect of negative affectivity. Okay, and don't get worried. I'm going to explain it all to you. Okay, emotional ability basically means unstable emotional experiences and frequent mood changes, emotions that are easily aroused, intense, and or out of proportion to events and circumstances. Mom, um, I'd like to invite you to uh, my son's communion. Oh, I can't be there. Nobody in your family likes me. I'm not going to be there and be around those people. Those people don't deserve to be in my company. I know they speak about me. I know how they feel about me. Okay? Those are emotions that are easily aroused and intense, but completely out of proportion with the events and the circumstances. Nobody's talking about you, Mom. Okay? That, that's an unstable emotional experience or response. And, and, you know, the mood changes, they fluctuate. You know, um, you know, she may go from, you know, that kind of an attitude to, you know, oh, I gotta be there. I gotta be there for my Mr. Joe bipolar. I gotta be there for my baby boy. So there's that mood fluctuation. So we call that emotional ability, okay? Then we have number two, anxiousness. Okay, which is also an aspect of what we call negative affectivity. Um, intense feelings of nervousness, ten, uh, tenseness, or panic, often in reaction, often in reaction to interpersonal stresses. Worry about the negative effects of past unpleasant experiences and future negative possibilities. Feeling fearful, apprehensive, or threatened by uncertainty. Fears of falling apart or losing control. Now, some of us may feel that, okay? So don't be worried if you feel that. You don't have borderline personality disorder if that's just something that you deal with, okay? Because that can sometimes be a component of anxiety, okay? Um, you know, a, a great example of a normal human response would be somebody who has an interview, let's say, um, and unfortunately loses it altogether, okay? You bomb the interview, you know, you're just so worried about how you're going to perform, your anxiousness takes over, you're apprehensive, you're fearful, and you're just completely threatened by the uncertainty of how that job interview is going to go and you completely fall apart okay that has happened to the best of us it's not good if it happens guys we need to have self-control we need to be able to find a way to control that anxiousness unfortunately though people with borderline personality disorder more times than not are unable to control that intense feeling of nervousness okay and they panic so much and they stress so much and they worry about even even you know, they'll even relate something that might happen in the future to something that might have happened in the past that was a real bad experience. And you say, well, that happened then. There is no way in the world that it's not going to happen again. It's absolutely going to replicate what I dealt with. And no matter what, I'm going to go in and I'm going to feel the exact same way. Okay? And, uh, you know, 
That is, again, I don't have a specific example for my mother. Let's see. Um, yeah, you know what? Perfect example, which is a combination of borderline personality disorder traits because I use the communion as a perfect example, okay? This is a woman that has basically ruined every single um, um, religious uh, event that my, my poor children have, have ever had a uh, a chance of partaking in my own my own beautiful children that I've created you know my parents have ruined it either by showing up drunk or by sitting in 50 pews back of everybody because they didn't want to be around my family or my wife's family so to speak okay um, but because so the combination is with my ex-wife I'll never forget you know we had my daughter's um, one of her religious sacraments and because my mother perceived in the way that people would treat her, um, which nobody treated her in, a, in, in the way that she perceived, so she was completely wrong in that aspect, okay? Um, you know, she had emotional ability in, in that aspect. But then, unfortunately, for the next event, um, even though her feelings in that first event were not accurate and untrue, she could not help but think that the next event was going to happen exactly how the first event had had happened. And she was so anxious and apprehensive about it that, you know, um, she, she actually fell apart, okay, fell apart at the next event. So I hope that makes sense. Okay, number three. So, and this is a big one, guys. A big one, which is another aspect of negative effectivity. Okay, and I think it's important that before I continue, because I keep using the uh, term negative effectivity, let me define that for you. It's frequent and intense experiences of high levels of a wide range of negative emotions. For example, anxiety, depression, uh, guilt, shame, worry, or anger. And their behavioral, for example, I apologize, I had to put you on pause. I don't know if you heard that, but I had a notification that came through on my phone. Um, let me continue here. Um, for example, uh, behavioral, and their behavioral, for example, self-harm. And interpersonal, for example, dependency manifestations. Negative effectivity is one of the five pathological personality trait domains defined in Section 3 of the DSM-5 model for personality disorders. So, it's one of the five uh, pathological personality trait domains. That's negative effectivity. And again, it's basically frequent and intense experience of high levels of a wide range of negative emotions. Okay? Um, and, and, and you'll also see behavior and interpersonal manifestations go along with that. So you'll have um, a high range of, for example, anxiety or a high range of, of depression uh, that's also associated with self-harm or um, d dependency on others. I hope that makes sense, okay? Um, but that's really what we're talking about when we refer to negative affectivity. So now let's go back to what we were referring to as the um, number three, <clears throat> which was the separation insecurity before I uh, explain the, the uh, part about negative affectivity. Again, this is an aspect of negative affect affectivity, um, separation insecurity, 
fears of rejection by and or separation from significant others associated with fears of excessive dependency and autonomy. Uh, I apologize for the pronunciation of that word. We'll read it again. Um, Separation insecurity, fears of rejection by and or separation from significant others associated with fears of excessive dependency and complete loss of autonomy. And guys, it's a very simple way to put separation insecurity. Fear of being rejected. My mother feels that way every single day of her life, um, especially by you know, her, her, her son, her daughter, her husband, um, you know, and it's, it's because they depend on those people for making them feel a certain way, even though some days they don't make them feel great, or at least they perceive them not to feel great. They certainly, re- they fear that they're being rejected by them, okay? So that's the first three, okay, that we have. Now we have number four, depressivity which is also an aspect of negative affectivity, frequent feelings of being down, miserable, and or hopeless, difficulty recovering from such moves, pessimism, about the, uh, being pessimistic about the future, pervasive shame, feelings of interior self-worth, inferior self-worth, thoughts of suicide, and suicidal behavior. So, guys, that to me sounds like, you know, depression at its worst form. Now, um, I can tell you this, that my mother was in an exact one-year depression. There were other times in my life that I saw her like that. You know, this was brought on by alcoholism, but really, you know, uh, it's hard to make a diagnostic or a diagnosis or apply one of these proposed diagnostic criterias um, to somebody if it has been brought on by substance abuse. Um, but I will say that, um, you know, I'm a little torn in terms of that, that year long depression that she had, because I do fully believe that she suffered was with, with what was called post-acute, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, um, which is just a very prolonged depression, depression. Um, you know, we have acute symptoms and then we have what I refer to as post-acute withdrawal symptoms, the acute symptoms, and I'll give it to you. For those of you who have may have abused opiates or heroin in your lifetime, and we'll talk a lot about pause and the symptoms of, of, of pause when I go through my Suboxone 101, but very quickly, you know, you have those acute withdrawal symptoms. That's what happens when you stop using the drug, and those are the symptoms that occur right away. Um, for somebody that might use heroin, the immediate acute withdrawal symptoms are you know, shaking, cold sweats, hot sweats, throwing up, diarrhea, um, you know, vomiting, all the things that happen immediately that you might see in the movies when people go through those horrible withdrawals. It's not like the movie. It's not, it's, it's, the movies are very accurate in terms of what you see. You know, those are the immediate acute withdrawal symptoms that happen. Same thing with alcohol. You know, some people may have seizures, some people may start to shake, um, uh, you know, and then they have the post-acute withdrawal symptoms, and those are the symptoms. And I know that they happen, guys, because I went through it for 188 days straight. Those are the symptoms that stay with you for a very long period of time. 
And they, for me, you know, with the Suboxone, it not only included probably the deepest, darkest depression, I put it in my top five of the worst experiences of my entire life. Um, yeah, probably number one. Um, 188 post-acute withdrawal syndrome, um, withdrawal period for me in which, you know, every day was worse than the next. It, it felt like it was never going to end. The depression, the anxiety, the lack of sleep, the restless leg syndrome, um, going to the bathroom between 20 and 30 times a day, um, yawning, nonstop yawning, jaw cracking, um, let's see what else. Oh God, the temperature, the temperature change guys, you know, I was freezing every single day. You know, I notice now that I've eliminated my second dose of Suboxone probably about, um, I think has to be at least two months ago. Um, give or take a few weeks or days. And do you guys know that I just was able to recognize today that at three o'clock, I go into a bit of an anxiety attack each day because I've been tracking my moods every single day. And it's, it's, it's interesting because there's an option to see how much you have in terms of your anxiety. Do you have anxiety symptoms? You know, are they low? Are they moderate? Are they high? And it's amazing that every day I don't hit that button and I indicate that it's none up until I hit three o'clock and then physical symptoms start to kick in. And I just realized today that it's probably two months later and I'm still experiencing withdrawals from the fact that I no longer take my second dose of Suboxone. And I just was able to figure that out. You know, it's kind of like my body searching for it. You know, guys, if you, and again, I don't want to waste too much time on Suboxone. We're going to get our own Suboxone 101 going. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about what I'm going through. But, you know, I, uh, my eyes are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the morning looking for that first dose of Suboxone every morning, about 4.40 every morning. And it's, it's very, very concerning. And I'm only on 0.75 milligrams now. I'm not even on one milligram. Um, but we'll get there. We'll talk about that another time. Okay, so now here are the last three. And remember, you have to have at least one of these three in combination with a total of four of everything that I just described, okay? So that, that first section, you had to have at least two of the identity, the self-direction, the empathy, and the intimacy. Got to have at least two of those, and you have to have at least four of these with at least one of the next three. And that includes impulsivity, which is an aspect of disinhibition. And for those of you who would like me to define that for you, really what disinhibition is, is it's gravitating towards, um, I guess you would call it a, like an immediate gratification, so to speak. I hope that makes sense. Um, and, and a lot of times, um, because you're gravitating towards, um, you know that or you want that immediate gratification you'll 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 become very impulsive um and 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 it'll be driven by your your feelings um your own thoughts are so are so intense inside that you won't even think about the past you won't think about consequences you won't think about the risk you won't give a, a you-know-what, let's put it that way. Um, and it is one of the pathological personality traits 
um, just like we talked about before with the negative effectivity. Okay, that happens to be one of the personality traits, okay? So it's just that, that inability really to um, even, even deal with, um, you know, no regard for the past consequences. You're just so leaning towards that immediate gratification that you, uh, leads to impulsive behaviors, okay? But that's the category that it's in. And really, it, it sounds perfect because it's called impulsivity, which is acting on the spur of the moment, in response to immediate stimuli, there you go, acting on a monetary basis, momentary, sorry about that monetary, you could, uh, I don't have any money, so maybe that's why uh, I said that, um, acting on a momentary basis without a plan or consideration of outcomes, difficulty establishing or following plans, a sense of urgency, and self-harming behavior under emotional distress, so, my mother, without even thinking it through. How's she going to get back at me? Well, one of the reasons why I got an order of protection against her was because the children, my children, her grandchildren, the principal of my children gave me a call quite a few years ago and said, your mother has called the school and she has indicated to us that she will be picking up the children. She doesn't care who tells her that she can't. She will be here to get them. So we better let those children go and she's going to come and get them. She also told my sister that she was going to burn her house down uh, during one of their heated arguments. She left her a message and said, I'm going to burn your house down. Um, and she had threatened on multiple occasions because she knew that I smoked marijuana. Um, she would tell me I'm calling Child Protective Services on you. <laughs> you know, so... Um, and, and, and I have had my own run-in with Child Protective Services, guys. And that's a perfect example of my mother not caring about any past circumstances that might have happened. Okay, doesn't care. Even though it didn't affect her, it kind of did because I actually had to live with her during that period of time. I was not allowed to see my children for a period of six months, everybody. And get this, I had been clean from all illicit drugs during that period of time. I was actually coming off Cymbalta, and I acted like a complete lunatic while I was coming off it, and my ex-wife fled for another state, really. Um, she was a little irrational in her thinking, um, to be honest with you, and that's the God's honest truth. I was by no way correct in what I did, and there's a little bit more to the story, and I will get into that at some point, but in a nutshell, I was 100% wrong, okay? I mean, when I tell you wrong, okay, I was crying on a stairway. I was threatening to um, swallow pills and commit suicide. And, you know, my children, um, <coughs> excuse me, were there for all of it. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I could say whatever I want, give you whatever story I want, make up whatever reason I want. When I really look at it from a whole perspective, I was downright wrong and I deserved to get what I got. Okay, even though I, you know, what what I guess hurts me is that I really didn't, um, you know, I didn't want to hurt anybody. And a lot of times, guys, that's what happens, you know, with us. We don't want to be hurtful. We don't want to hurt our children. But, um, you know, this this time, what, what, what was so upsetting is that, you know, I had been clean for quite some time. And, you know, I had already start, started my, my run of, um, you know, no, no more cocaine and no more oxycontin and i had been clean for several years at this point and it was just 
in my opinion, mismanagement of medication, you know, um, incorrect information on how to withdraw or, or, or come off of Cymbalta. You know, I was misled, and um, unfortunately, when I came off, I was, in, uh, in, for lack of better terms, everybody, an absolute animal. Um, so I didn't see my children for six months, and, you know, my mother saw what I went through and the pain that I endured, but she still made it a point that um, any time she wanted to get back at me, she would leave me a message and tell me that she was calling CPS on me because she knew I smoked marijuana. Half the time, she wasn't even right, you know. So, you know, when I was angry and unmedicated and I would fight back with her because that's what people with bipolar disorder who are not medicated would do is we fight back and we engage in the same amount of impulsivity as somebody with borderline personality disorder. I would call her up and say, hey, you know what? And, and it would all depend whether or not I was really smoking <laughs> because if I was if I was smoking, I wouldn't dare make this phone call. But... You know, the times when I was clean for a period of time, go ahead, Ma, call. You know, nobody wants that problem in their life, okay, because it is a real pain in the you-know-what if you have to deal with that. Um, you know, child protective services, especially when you're a good person and, you know, it becomes almost more like a hindrance, um, especially when you're not using illegal drugs and, you know, you're... Imagine, imagine being monitored by Child Protective Services because of psych, psychotropic medications that went wrong. Okay, so that's really what ended up happening with me. Um, but, you know, I had no problem going back at my mother when I was not smoking marijuana at the time, not trying to manage my moods with marijuana. I'd say, yeah, call them. Tell them to come on over. I'll take a blood test for them. I'll take a, um, a urine test. No problem. Um, <clears throat> but, of course, once again... Um, we all know what marijuana did in terms of my bipolar disorder and managing my moods. And that was absolutely nothing, nothing good anyway. Okay, so we have impulsivity, and we talked about that. That was number five. Number six, risk-taking, also an aspect of disinhibition. Engagement in dangerous, risky, and potentially self-damaging activities unnecessarily and without regard to consequences, lack of concern for one's limitations, and denial of the reality of personal danger. This one is actually the one that scared the living daylights out of me. Because i got to tell you, none of these other things are me at all. Um, but I will, and you know, and one thing you know about being in my neighborhood and, 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 and talking with Mr. Joe in my bipolar podcast is one thing I am is very honest with my audience. And I will t- tell you right now, this scared the living daylights out of me because I am actually, I, I fit the bill for this one. You know, I have smashed my head. I have cut my arms. I have done things without thinking about the consequences, you know, who in the who in the world wants to walk into work and have to lie about, you know, I fell in the snow or I got cut by a child or, you know, it's just not worth it. And to not think about those consequences. Now, you know, with my mother, um, I don't remember a lot of risk-taking um, acts. Um, I do remember some excessive spending. Um, you know, she went on HSN, if any of you are familiar with the Home Shopping Network or something like that, or QVC, the woman must have spent, I know she wiped out an entire savings account and bank account and my father's 401k. Um, So I guess you could refer to that as dangerous and risky 
and self-damaging activities. I mean, really, you know, when I think of risk-taking, I think of hurting myself. Um, I think of self-injurious behavior. But really, if you read the definition, the fact that my mother spent, um, you know, nearly $20,000 of a savings account on things that you couldn't even imagine to the point that my parents actually brought it up to me over the Christmas vacation. They said, you know, we still have uh, portable air conditioners, flat screen TVs, computer desks, computer monitors, uh, sound machines, you know, multiple versions of each thing still in the box, vacuum after vacuum, steam cleaner after steam cleaner. Um, you know, this risk-taking behavior in which my mother didn't care anything about money, very much like a bipolar spending spree. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we're not going to talk about my bipolar right now in this episode, but, you know, I am a person that is absolutely ashamed to say that I am one of the bipolar people that had to claim bankruptcy. Um, you know, I'm not proud of it. Um, I, I wish that I had an opportunity to pay my debts um, and, and be able to make right for the things that I did, but my excessive spending in my lifetime for bi from bipolar disorder was literally due to crazy shopping sprees in which I had no regard for money, um, and I had excessively large amounts of credit limits on on multiple credit cards and, you know, 30000 here, 50000 here. Um, you know, before it was all said and done, I probably spent um, $60,000 in, you know, ridiculous spending, very much like in what my mother did with her reckless behavior and risk-taking behavior. And then another, um, uh, God only knows, 20000 in cash advances to buy cocaine, okay? So, you know, that, that's pretty embarrassing. Pretty embarrassing, everybody, okay? Um, so then we have uh, what we call hostility. That's the last one. And just so you know, um, hostility, it says in parentheses here, um, is an aspect of antagonism. And for those of you that are unaware what antagonism means, it's, it's basically behaviors that put an individual at odds with other people. It's a simple way to define it. Um, you know, I, I guess... Um, an exaggerated sense of self-importance, um, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, like they expect special treatment, let's say. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good way to put antagonism. But in, in the sense of borderline personality disorder, you know, hostility is an aspect of antagonism. And what they define it is as, as a persistent or frequent angry feelings angle or irritability in response to minor slights and insults. And again, you know, a lot of the times my mother would imagine that people were insulting her and, and minor slights, but, um, you know, there was nothing that you could say to that woman, okay? You know, I thought it was very strange that growing up every year, literally every year, there was a family member that had disassociated with my parents. And I never knew until I was, I actually had no idea that my mother had borderline personality disorder. I thought it was, you know, my mother was always the one that, um, you know, my mother was of Russian Jewish descent, although she was baptized and confirmed later on in life. Um, her, her nationality was actually Judaism. Um, 
you know, which I, I would think puts a little bit of Jewish in me, although I was baptized and confirmed, but I have that background as well. And, uh, you know, uh, I grew up telling everybody I was Italian, let's put it that way. But really, you know, um, Jewish blood, Russian blood, Italian, it doesn't matter, we're all the same. Um, but, man, I remember being in a basement of my aunt and uncle and my mother screaming at my aunt saying, you know, you hate the Jews, you hate me because I'm a Jew. And, you know, and then, and then she would be with my German aunt and she would call her a Nazi. And, you know, before you knew, every year, you know, it was, we weren't friends with this family um, or this part of the family. And, and everybody's had that in their life. I know that. I know that everybody's been at odds with their family. And most families do have situations where people are fighting with each other at some point in their life. But to have it, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I still have this lingering cough. I apologize. The last thing I want to do is cough on my podcast. Um, but... You know, it's one thing to have these little uh, arguments with your family, but, you know, the fact that every single time, every single year of my life, my parents were always, you know, abandoned, really, by different family people. And then they would come back and people would try again. And again, I didn't figure this out until later in life. And it's amazing because now even my uncle, my mother's brother, he actually got up and moved and went to a completely different state so he could be away from my mother. Um, I do know that my mother has damaged every single family relationship that she has had in her entire life, and they still are damaged. Um, nobody talks to her, and it's very sad. It's very sad. So, you know, if this is something that, you know, rings true with you, or you know somebody that is that is acting like this, or, you know, has really basically destroyed each and every, um, um, you know, relationship in their path because of things such as this, you know, it's a pretty good bet that um, they have borderline personality disorder. Now, you know, I, I encourage all of you to go out because I'm going through the pages here and I'm looking at all of these personality disorders and I really encourage you to, to go out and get this book. You could probably get the DSM-5, um, you know, on a place like eBay or something along those lines. And really take a look and study this. Because there are disorders in this book, okay, that resemble borderline personality disorder. You know, I turn to this page here. Antisocial personality disorder. And obviously we're not going to go through all these, okay. Um, but they have their own criteria which are all very, very similar. Um, you know, the, the difference in this one, I see that, you know, I see words such as deceitfulness, which obviously has to do with fabricating lies, um, you know, uh, manipulativeness, which, again, you know, my mother is extremely manipulative, and we didn't even talk about that, you know. So what's to say that she doesn't also have what's called antisocial personality disorder? Because I can almost guarantee she's got six or more of the following um, pathological personality traits listed in antipersonality social disorder. Avoidant personality social disorder. There's the borderline, narcissistic personality disorder, obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, schizotypical, per, schizotypal personality disorder, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, personality disorder trait-specific, 
Um, you know, there are so, so many things in here, guys, almost like it kind of crosses over. Um, so you got to get a real, real good look in terms of what actually you're dealing with. I mean, here is another one, you know, dependent personality disorder. I might have said that already. I probably did. Um, yeah, I think I did say that. It's late for me, guys. I apologize. Oh, here's another one, histrionic personality disorder. Um, you know, listen, if there is one that you guys are interested in, in having me review, please drop me a line, give me an email. I could be reached at MrJoeBP at uh, Yahoo.com. Now, now, to finish this up, I don't want to leave you just let yet. Um, there is another section. Um, I would like to just kind of sum this up for you, and this does a really, really good job. I'm not going to read these two pages because they actually go into a paragraph format of diagnostic features, which is extremely interesting because it kind of narrates it for you. Um, and I might do that for Borderline Personality Disorder Part 2. Um, I will read the first sentence to you, though. First paragraph. The essential feature of borderline personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and effects, and marked impulsivity that begins by early adulthood and is present in a variety of contexts. Um, you know, and then they go into the criterion, so I'm not going to get into that, but I want to just give you this in a nutshell. Um... A pervasive pattern of instability, which we just said, as indicated by five or more of the following. Frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. A pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationship characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluations. Identity disturbance, markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. Oh, and here we go. Examples, spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. Note, it does not include suicidal or self-mutilating behavior covered in Criterion 5. And there we, here we go. Number five, recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats or, threats or self-mutilating behavior. Um, effective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood. For example, intense episodic dysphoria, irritability, or anxiety usually lasting a few hours or only rarely more than a few days. Chronic feelings of emptiness. Inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. Um, frequent displays of temper, constant anger, recurrent physical fights. And then transient self st transient stress related paranoid ideation uh, or severe disassociative symptoms. That's like that's like the summary, let's so to speak, of the diagnostic criteria of what we just discussed. And then I got to tell you, I mean, it's just th this this narrative part is so incredible. I'm reading here. It says they may believe that this abandonment implies that they are bad in quotation. These, these abandonment fears are related to an intolerance of being alone and a need to have other people with them. This, these frantic efforts to avoid abandonment may include impulsive actions such as self-mutilating or suicidal behaviors, which are described separately in Criterion 5. Um, I mean, you know, it's, 
we did a lot tonight, guys. We really did. We discussed a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, so I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, again, reach out to me, Mr. Joe, BP at yahoo.com. I can be reached by email. You can reach out to me on Twitter at uh, Mr. Joe, Mr. Bipolar Joe. Uh, you can find me on there. Everybody, have an amazing night. Thank you so much. We went a little longer than I anticipated. Talk again soon. Thanks for listening.